Every year, on March 17th, people from all across the globe head to the streets or their favorite pubs to eat corned beef and celebrate St. Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland. One of the reasons St. Patrick's Day has become such a big event in so many different countries is because since the 1700s, millions upon millions of Irish immigrants have left Ireland en masse to escape political persecution, religious persecution, and famine. They moved to places you would expect me to list, like Canada, Australia, or America, but they also formed settlements in some countries that might surprise you. For instance, did you know that there are thousands of people of Irish heritage in Puerto Rico, Cuba, and Mexico? Argentina has an Irish diaspora of over one million people. And have you ever heard of Montserrat? It's on the Emerald Isle, all right, and they'll feel quite at home among its Atlantic beaches, green fields, harps and shamrocks, the Emerald Isle of the Caribbean, and home of a unique race of people, the Black Irish. Their soft accents are typical of Montserrat and might easily be confused with the lilt in parts of West Cork. Now, how did the family come to Montserrat, Mr. Allen? Well, the Irish people came to Montserrat on account of Cromwell, where he was exiled. Montserrat is a tiny island in the Caribbean, about 2,000 miles southeast of Florida. Many Irish came here as indentured servants. They worked alongside slaves from West Africa, eventually mixing and creating one of the most unique cultures in the world. St. Patrick's Day is taken very seriously in Montserrat, and it's commonplace to see the green, white, and orange of the Irish flag on traditional West African garb. Nowadays, it seems as though the Irish are one of the most beloved cultures, certainly in America, but this wasn't always the case. In the early days of Irish immigration, writers described the Irish as drunk and violent. Cartoonists depicted the Irish as apes, and advertisements for jobs read, Irish need not apply. Many in the U.S. wanted to stop Irish immigration altogether. Sound familiar? When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're rapists, and some, I assume, are good people. All of this is because humans have a tendency to be biased. This can come in many forms, like sports or something mundane like brand preference, but it can also rear its ugly head in the form of xenophobia, nationalism, sexism, or racism. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. A bias at its core is a lack of empathy for someone. Over the years, Irish immigrants became more commonplace. Their culture became more absorbed into the larger American culture, and the United States as a whole became more empathetic toward them. And America is better for it, which shows you the power of empathy. Having the ability to understand and share the feelings of someone else is a vital key to our survival. Why are we empathetic? Just consider what a tribe would be like without empathy, without ability to feel what someone else is feeling, without uh, an ability to see it from another person's point of view, you probably wouldn't be a very successful tribe. You, you wouldn't take care of each other. You probably wouldn't divide up tasks. 
you do this and I'll do that. I know that's hard for you all to do this. Well, I'm good at that. I know you're good at that, so you do that and I'll do this. I mean, imagine a tribe without empathy. So empathy is not only a long-term survival strategy for the human race, it can also be advantageous in the short term, like in the case of organ donation. Right now, there's an estimated 130 million people in the U.S. registered as an organ donor. My name is Robert Obrey from the Tampa Bay area in Florida, and yes, I'm an organ donor. Hello, yes, my name is Thomas Knight, and I am an organ donor. Hi, this is Chelsea from North Richmond Hills, Texas, and I myself am an organ donor. I decided to change my mind about organ donation a couple of years ago uh, when my aunt was diagnosed with uh, kidney failure and needed an organ transplant. Without them and an emotion like empathy, that number would be at zero. And the 52,000 people per year that get added to the waiting list for a transplant would have little to no chance of long-term survival. A healthy donor has eight life-saving organs. The heart, two lungs, pancreas, liver, two kidneys, and his intestines. This means that one healthy donor has the ability to save up to eight people. So on the surface, it seems like it's a no-brainer. No pun intended. Being an organ donor is beneficial to a healthy society, right? Hi, how you doing? Uh, my name is Jesus Fernandez uh, from Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, I am currently not an organ donor. My name is Aline. I am calling from Florida, Florida, and I am not an organ donor. However, I While that may be true, normal. some people are still apprehensive. So what are some of the potential cons and myths surrounding organ donation? Hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, or HLH, is a rare disorder, not unlike cancer, where macrophages and T-cells get, let's say, angry at cleaning up uh, viral infections and instead start attacking everything in your body, even perfectly functional red blood cells and platelets. I know you're thinking about T-cells and zombies. They're a real thing, the T-cell part, not zombies. Depending on the type of HLH, like primary, often medication like chemotherapy isn't enough. This is why bone marrow transplants are often necessary to replace the defective marrow so functional cells can be created and prevent the disease. Without treatment, patients' prognosis drops to two months of life. HLH is just one of the many rare diseases and reasons why organ donating and getting on the bone marrows list is important. In the U.S. alone, there's an estimated 120,000 patients on the waiting list for one organ or another. Out of those 120K, 2.1 will die every day, waiting because of the lack of a donor. Even with the amount of recipients passing away waiting, it's an unstable economy as another name is added to the list of patients needing an organ transplant every 10 minutes. Doesn't take any math skills to notice that this is just not sustainable. Why we donate is just a simple numbers game. A single donor can potentially help up to 50 human lives. What else in your entire life could you help that many people in a single act of saying yes? Not many of us will ever have such an opportunity, so why not do one last good deed before returning to the stardust in which you came from? First things first, on our podcast, we aren't about sugarcoating anything. If you're moved and are considering becoming a donor, you might be asking, are there any cons to being an organ donor? Of course, nothing in life is black and white, but it's important to separate fact from fiction. Let me clear the air of the myths you may have heard. Number one. 
Paramedics and hospital staff will see my organ donor status and one work as hard to save my life. As far as me being a paramedic, I can tell you that whether you're an organ donor or not, we will not treat you any differently whatsoever. That doesn't even play a part. We don't even honestly look at that. Paramedics and doctors must follow the Hippocratic Oath. Primum non nocere, Latin for first do no harm. You are the main and only focus to help preserve your life, not somebody else's. In fact, you'll likely receive the most aggressive life-saving care to increase the potential quality of the organs donated. Number two, me or my family will be charged to donate an organ. All costs for removal of an organ go to the recipient, not yourself. This is often misunderstood. The only time you will be charged are due to complications in which you are a living donor. Although rare, complications like nerve damage can occur. There's always a level of risk in any medical procedure, even something as small as a blood transfusion. And the transplant team will explain that to you before removing any organs. Number three, let those closest to you and your family know that you've decided to be an organ donor. Prepare them so they understand that after you've been confirmed brain dead, doctors will place your body on life support. This is not the same as being alive and on life support, but it is necessary to keep fresh blood pumping through tissue before the transplant team removes it. The harsh reality is that for the donor, living or dead actually has the least to worry about. Most risks involved in organ donation are on the recipient's end. Study shows one in 10 people may develop diabetes. There's organ rejection, often a lifetime of drugs to prevent rejection, complications in the surgery or donation, and obviously the cost incurred as a recipient. Still, beats being dead. What about involuntary organ donation? This can occur when you wake up in a bathtub full of ice with a note advising you to seek medical attention immediately. Assuming they only harvested one of your kidneys and no other vital organs, you might be okay, but the truth of the matter is this isn't as common as you think in the U.S. Thank you. Well, tonight we're learning new details about the role of Isaac Rosenbaum, the man accused of trafficking human organs. Although there have been arrests made in the U.S. for individuals who thought they could sell an organ to pay off a debt, it's not as common as one probably assumes. It does occur, though, because the demand is clearly there but it's hardly affordable by nearly anyone, not to mention the ethical and safety issues. Something tells me that even though you may pay top dollar for an organ, these groups aren't necessarily looking for the best match. Money talks and the average price on the black market for an organ can run upwards of $160,000. I just wouldn't expect quality results. It may be difficult to believe, but there are some modern countries where the selling of organs has been legalized. Just as recent as 2014, the Harvard Medical School's Department of Global Health and Social Medicine wrote an open letter to then-President Barack Obama urging him to support test programs to study methods of compensation for living kidney donors. There are arguments for living donor kidney transplants, and it's not like we don't sell other things like eggs and sperm. As mentioned, there are a few countries where compensation for organs are legal. These countries include China, India, and Iran. Of course, they're all heavily regulated. The Philippines, before 2008, were one of the countries participating in legal compensation, which made it a popular destination for transplants running around $25,000 for an all-inclusive transplant. 
This all ended in March 2008 when the government ban went into effect, banning any further transplants. Personally, I don't think legalizing the sale of organs to be the end of all solution for the demand we're currently facing. It has a significant impact on different demographics that would be largely unfair, like the poor, for example. Like this, that organ trading thrived, underdeveloped and impoverished. In this one area alone, over a hundred residents sold their kidneys. You would also face dark reasoning for donations, like an example I mentioned earlier, paying off debts. You would truly have a system where the rich could essentially skip ahead of all others just because they were fortunate enough to be born into better circumstances. We as a nation, scratch that, we as a species are way better than that. I don't claim to have all the answers, but it's only fair I offer up at least one solution. Let's say for all living or diseased donors who donate an organ, part of the donation should shift the cost of a funeral from the donating family. One less thing to worry about, and the fact that a single organ donor could potentially help and save 50 lives, the impact on each individual recipient would be minimal. Olivia, can you say hi, internet? Can you say it? <laughs> no. Say it. <laughs> Don't look at me. Okay, we won't look at you, okay? Say hi, internet. Hi, internet. <laughs> this is Olivia my three-year-old daughter and easily the toughest person I know next to her mother. When Olivia was 10 months old, she was diagnosed with systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis complicated with macrophage activation syndrome or the shorter and easier to remember version, SJIA and MAS. This was determined after a week-long battle with full body rash and daily fevers reaching 106 degrees. Don't get hung up on the word arthritis. This isn't your grandmother's arthritis. In fact, it's so different from what we understand arthritis to be that advocacy groups are pushing to have it renamed as autoinflammatory disease instead of arthritis. This was easily the scariest moment in my life, and never have I experienced fear as we did the week spent at the hospital with no improvements and no diagnosis. SJIA and MAS are such complex diseases that they're only diagnosed by ruling everything out, like leukemia or Kawasaki disease. In fact, recent research has considered placing it closer to a subset of HLH, the scary disease I uh, mentioned earlier. It's been a long and tough battle, but we've been fortunate to control it with drugs and biologics. And since this is not the primary form of HLH, a risky bone marrow transplant hasn't been necessary. With that said, bone marrow transplants are used as a last-ditch effort in some rare cases. This is why organ donorship and getting on the bone marrow transplant registry has been on my mind. One day maybe I can help save the life of a child whose parents are all out of options. I sure hope someone would do the same for Olivia if it ever came down to it. I hope now you have all the facts you need and are maybe considering being a lifesaver yourself. So why don't we touch on what it's like to donate or be a recipient of an organ? What does it feel like to have a donated organ? The physical after effects of an organ transplant vary dramatically depending on the type of organ and what other health issues are present in the patient. Recovering from the procedure can be a difficult hurdle to overcome as well, but the emotional turmoil is the hardest part for many people. 
Organ recipients often feel immense guilt from benefiting from someone's death. I experienced a lot of guilt because I told myself, how dare you, Lauren, feel sad or disappointed with how this transplant has ended up. Somebody has died and you're still here, so how dare you have these thoughts? I went through a big period when I thought I did not deserve this. and Depression is not uncommon initially, but that lessens over time. Donating organs, cells, or blood is a very honorable act that I believe should be encouraged, and receiving a donation is a gift that should be cherished every day. But like anything else, donating or receiving a donation has its risk. One of the prerequisites for donating is that you must be in good health, which makes sense. If you're going to give a sick person a piece of you in order to help them, it's only reasonable for them to expect that it won't make them worse. This means that in order to donate, the donor must risk compromising their perfectly good health. Most of the concerns are related to the surgery. Pain, blood clotting, infection, and even death are all risk associated with any surgery, even a dental procedure. Recipients also face the same surgical risk as the donor. In addition to those issues, the donated organ could not function properly. When a person receives an organ from someone else during transplant surgery, that person's immune system may recognize that it is foreign. This is because the person's immune system detects that the antigens on the cells of the organ are different or not matched. This will cause the recipient's immune system to attack the donor's organ. Mismatched organs or organs that are not matched closely enough can trigger a blood transfusion reaction or transplant rejection. In our fourth episode, we discussed tennis player Arthur Ashe. Ash contracted HIV during a blood transfusion after a second coronary bypass operation in 1983. This is a worst-case scenario that is extremely unlikely to occur today. To help prevent this reaction, doctors type or match both the organ donor and the person who is receiving the organ. The more similar the antigens are between the donor and the recipient, the less likely that the organ will be rejected. It seems very risky. I mean, no one likes to do surgery, especially one to help someone else and sometimes someone they don't even know. But there are rewards as well. More than 14,000 people donate organs in the U.S. each year, either after death or while they're still alive. Each donor can save up to eight people with life-saving organs such as the heart, lungs, pancreas, and kidneys. A dozen or more can be saved through tissue donation and many more through blood, cells, and bone marrow. Using the organs of a recently deceased person to extend the life of a person in need is truly a remarkable event. A lot of times, the recipient is in a life-or-death scenario, and the donor is their only hope for survival. The donor is, in a manner of speaking, living on through the recipient. It's a very profound connection, yet the two parties involved rarely meet. According to the Organ Procurement and Transplantation Network, it only happens about 5% of the time. Families who have met with each other after a successful organ transplant have said that it was worth it, but making the decision to meet can bring about heartbreak. To continue the mission they began in March, the day their daughter Taylor, just 13, died in a Colorado ski accident. The day they decided to donate her organs. I, I can't wait till I'm able to hug the person that has her heart. That encouraged Patricia to reach out. The two moms built a special bond. You know, I know this is, we should probably talk, and, but I need to hear her. Patricia retrieves her nurse's stethoscope. This goes around your ears like that. I cleaned it, okay? <laughs> Tell me if you can hear it. It's so strong. Oh, yeah. 
The donor's family is reminded of what they've lost and the recipients feel guilty about benefiting from that loss. Giving a piece of yourself, a lot of the time to total strangers, is a very generous and selfless act. Making the decision to do so while living is the peak of nobility. In a world where many people won't give a homeless person loose change because they think they might spend it on booze, you're giving someone your lungs, liver, kidney, bone marrow, blood, and heart without any conditions. Some people want to help their loved ones in this situation, but can't because they aren't compatible. So they do the next best thing. They donate an organ to someone else on behalf of their loved one who just received a transplant. This is called a donor transplant chain. A humanitarian donor sets off a series of transplants in which family or friends of recipients give a kidney to another person in need, essentially paying donations forward on behalf of the loved one. Because these chains can include so many participants, they can be especially helpful to individuals who are highly sensitized and as a result cannot find a good donor match. It's about the closest that regular people can get to being superheroes. You're going against every human instinct of self-preservation to save someone's life knowing you won't be around to hear them say thank you. What if they don't appreciate it? What if it goes to the wrong person, to a bad person? How do you know it even made a difference? Imagine you were on the receiving end of a life-saving organ transplant. Is there anyone you wouldn't take an organ from? Would you accept a heart from a murderer or a kidney from a rapist? What about someone who you previously held a bias against? A Muslim, a Mexican, or a black person? A Jewish person, an atheist, or God forbid, a millennial? God, I hate millennials. <laughs> you know, I, I, every day I'm given a reason to hate you young people more and more. I mean, first of all, you're stupid. I mean, so many of the necessary parts of our bodies are interchangeable. Would that realization help you empathize with people that you thought you had no connection to? What's going on, everybody? This is DJ Ritz, Saturday Night Shutdown, WMNF.org, and I am the lucky or blessed, whichever way you prefer to say it, recipient of a heart transplant. Some of the things I did not know going into this, before you are even considered, they come in and ask you about your financial situation. And if you do not have so much money in the bank, you have to raise a certain amount of money. And initially, I thought it was kind of cold. But after going through the process and seeing the expenses that go with it, you realize that it's necessary, as cold as it may seem. You don't want to give an organ to somebody that can't afford to keep it and allow somebody else to die or whatever the case may be that could have maintained said organ. So after telling them my financial situation, I had to do a fundraiser, raise enough money to receive the transplant. We had a huge yard sale that raised far more than I anticipated. Therefore, we were able to proceed with the proceedings. Initially, that put me off, but once again completely understand. So there's that. You have to be able to maintain your organ after transplant. Something that's you don't think about. You just think about, I need this to go on with my life. So after that, boom, you have the transplant. And in the back of your head, you probably 
or I know I did. I, I kept uh, hoping that I would not receive an elderly person's heart. You know, I didn't want to wake up craving butterscotch or none of that. I, I kind of thought uh, that I would take on maybe a little bit of the personality of the person that whose organ I received. But that's not the case. I, uh, I was still me. And I am grateful for that. I celebrate it every year like it's a birthday. This was my sixth anniversary on March 3rd this year. And I watched Willie Nelson perform live to celebrate my transplant day. And he still got it. I think people handle it differently. I'm one that I believe the doctors and coordinators love and hate. I think they love the fact that I live my life as I did prior to it and also kind of I think it's it worries them a little bit because you should be a little more cautious about uh you know being in large groups and stuff and I just I enjoy being in groups of people for various events and while I still live my life I did make changes because I don't want to take this for granted by any means I'm extremely grateful for the gift I was given. Prior to receiving my heart, I smoked marijuana like a chimney. <laughs> and they told me that I would not be able to receive a heart if I continued smoking. And so that night, I went home and got rid of whatever I had. And I've never even thought about smoking again. Because it was not as important to me as it is to be here I had a incredible support system between friends and family, which I'm very thankful for. And that's another thing that you have to have to get a heart. They have to know that you have people that are there to make you talk to a psychologist to make sure you have all your marbles or at least enough marbles to maintain your organ. And I had just enough before I even knew that I had to have a heart transplant, I was signed up to be an organ donor. I don't believe that I can be frozen and brought back to life at any point on this flat earth. So why would I take any good organs I have with me? If I could save one life with my organs, I would be more than thrilled to do so. With my transplant, I can't help but think about the family and the donor. When you receive a transplant, you, you're not supposed to know who you received your organ from. I had to have a heart transplant because as a kid, I had rhabdomyosarcoma, which is a ligament form of muscle cancer, and I survived it. The chemotherapy that was given to me at the time deteriorated my heart therefore as an adult I had to have the transplant I would not go back and change that for nothing because it extended my life I saw a lot of kids through the children's cancer center that weren't afforded that opportunity I wouldn't change none of it I wouldn't change the cancer as a kid it led to some sadly enough really cool experiences that I would not have had without uh, the cancer. If you're curious about being an organ donor 
and you'd like to take the word from a recipient, of course, I'm going to tell you to do it. What do you have to lose? And about the show, I concur. There's no such thing as a dumb question. I always heard and lived by you can ask a question and look like a fool for five minutes or you cannot ask a question and remain a fool forever i love that saying that's one of my favorites but yeah dj ritz saturday night shutdown 88.5 wmnf.org and i mean.org shut it down squad thank you guys for having me uh Keep on rocking in the free world and doot 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 doot.